Hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. I want to apologize for uh, missing out on, on last week's show. We, uh, we recorded it, we went through it, and uh, we actually recorded it a day early because Kevin was covering a task force meeting, and somewhere in that intervening 24 hours, my computer got a bug, and the system that we used to record the podcast completely crashed and erased everything we had done, so I want to apologize uh, for that, but I think so we'll make it up to you. But if you're hearing this today, that's a good sign, because <laughs> that means that the, the ghosts have been exercised from the machine, and we're, and we're here, and we have a lot to talk about. This has been a very busy week, a state board meeting that's been on our, uh, on our radar and on our agenda for weeks. You were there. Uh, the big news uh, coming out of the State Board of Education regards the Every Student Succeeds Act and Idaho's plan. What happened? This is really going to shape education policy in the state of Idaho. Uh, For years to come, I believe, Kevin, uh, the big headline is the State Board of Education voted unanimously on Thursday to approve the state's plan to comply with the federal Every Student Succeeds Act. We've been talking about that all summer. I've been writing about that and attending that. Uh, Meetings devoted to that all summer. This was one of the big hurdles, but not the final hurdle for the state's ESSA plan. And just as a brief refresher for everybody, uh, this is an important plan. It's about an 85-page document. It represents Idaho's application uh, for about $83 million in federal funding annually. It also includes a new school accountability system uh, and a mechanism for identifying to the federal government the lowest performing public schools. Idaho's been without a school accountability system since 2014. And this also is kind of our plan for directing nine different federal programs. Now, many of these programs um, affect students with disabilities or disadvantages, families in poverty. And one of these programs also directs uh, funding for uh, teacher training, professional development training for our educators. So a big, wide-ranging plan. It had been developed Uh, Really, over the last year plus, with the final details coming together in a flurry uh, after a series of meetings this summer, and uh, the State Board of Education, without any debate, any discussion whatsoever, Mm -hmm. approved it unanimously on Thursday. Yeah, and you were in the room. I mean, what was the mood like? I mean, this has been something that has been in the works, like you say, for a year. There's been a lot of really kind of tense meetings and a lot of you know, sweating over words and phrases and a lot of back and forth. But when it came down to the vote on Thursday, no, no debate. What, what was the mood of the room? It really, and, and we were talking about this just before we turned on the microphone, it almost kind of felt like the last day of the legislative session. There was a noticeable sense of elation uh, from Superintendent of Public Instruction, Sherry Ibarra, and her staff. When she made the motion, you know, she made sure to make the motion for approval Superintendent Ibarra said, you have no idea how happy this makes me. Uh, When the vote came in unanimously, uh, her staff let out a cheer. It kind of felt like the last day of school, the last (laughs) day of the legislative session. There was a a, a sense of relief. You know, we've, we've come this far. This was one of the hurdles we're facing, not the final one, uh, but we've made it this far. And and it was a big day. But also a sense of We've got to turn something into the feds by September 18th. Uh, this is, you know, this is what we've got at this point. So let's uh, let's sign on. Let's vote for it and move the process along. Yeah, that's that's the next big hurdle, um, and that's the real deadline. Uh, is September 18th? 
Superintendent Ibarra and State Board President Linda Clark must sign off on this plan and submit it to the feds, uh, to the U.S. Department of Education, to Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. That's the big test that has yet to come. And so it was pretty... It was pretty much a given that the state board was going to approve something this right. week. They had to have something um, to send to the federal government next month. The timing made it so that, you know, they may have even had to edit this. If, if they if they didn't like things in it, they would have had to edit it on the fly and then approve that. But th- there was very much a sense that something was going to be coming out of the state board meeting because the governor has to have 30 days to look at it, and then we have to send it uh, to the feds in basically five weeks' time. And, and kind of to spin it forward, and we talked about this before we went on air, only four states' plans have been approved. Right. It's been an arduous process for some states. We've heard Pete Colder from uh, Sherry Ibarra's staff talk about that, that uh, it's not been a rubber stamp process at the federal level. The story you had on Wednesday, state board members were already talking about there may be parts of this plan that don't pass muster with the Fed, so we've got to have a backup. That was the most interesting debate. It actually took place the day before uh, during a briefing. But, yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. Um, board President Linda Clark, board member Debbie Critchfield said they have uh, some concerns. Uh, maybe not even concerns. Maybe they're just expecting this at this point. That It all comes down to the state's accountability plan, yeah. and that could be the rub with the Feds here. And so they're anticipating that maybe the feds will ask for changes, maybe they'll send the plan back, maybe they'll reject it. Hard to say exactly what will happen, but the basics are our state policymakers on the state board level get the impression that the feds are looking for a single summative rating to go along with the accountability measure. Something like the five-star rating, one, two, three, four, or five stars from our old system. Here's your bottom line school rating. Yeah, an A through F system like a report card, um, maybe even a 100-point index. Something that assigned a score uh, to each school and school district's accountability report That's deliberately not in the Idaho plan. Uh, There was a lot of feedback from educators in the field and some policymakers that they wanted to use multiple measures of school quality and academic performance, that they thought that that would be more transparent. They also had, uh, and I believe rightly so, they had some concerns about how confusing or perhaps misleading the old five-star rating system was. Uh, because it was measuring proficiency and it could be a little misleading for schools that were already at the top or uh, conversely were at the bottom and made giant strides in one year. And so there was a lot of concern about that, but Idaho deliberately is not putting in a single summative rating in its plan. So it'll be interesting to see what the feds say, but there is a, a lot of speculation that this may be coming back just as soon as the feds get it. So as the summer of ESA uh, bleeds into the autumn of ESA, you'll be staying on top of this and, and keeping, us, uh, keeping us current on what's happening with this, uh, with this state plan. Other big news that came out of the state board meeting, uh, Devin Bodkin, our Eastern Idaho reporter, had the story on this, but we can talk about it a little bit. Uh, the state board signed off on a plan to, uh, to provide uh, premiums for master teachers. This master teacher premium plan has been in the works for a while as well. Uh, it's a plan that would uh, provide... Uh, $4,000 to eligible to qualified teachers with eight or more years of experience. It sounds like, and you you, you were there, it sounds like it's a, a pretty arduous process that the state board wants teachers to go through in order to receive the, this pay raise. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and that's how I think of these leadership premiums is as a salary bonus. And so 
the thing that happened on Thursday was the state board voted to approve sort of the rubric, the uh, the qualities that, that teachers need to meet in order to be eligible for this raise. And they've set it so that it's a high bar. The idea, I think, is intentionally that only a very select few of the best of the best, uh, most experienced and most successful teachers will receive uh, these bonuses. Like you, I think you mentioned, we're talking about a $4,000 bonus. Um, once you're uh, flagged to receive it. That would continue for each of three years. You would receive that four thousand um, dollars. But it is set up, and so that teachers need to basically have a portfolio of credentials uh, that would establish exemplary teaching in five different areas: leadership, professional collaboration and partnership, um, student learning environment, professional growth, content instruction, and assessment. So it's set to be a high bar. It was kind of patterned after a similar program. In the state of Idaho, that about Ohio. two or yes, hello, we're in Idaho. Uh, I, I just pulled like the national news on election day. That's awesome. Uh, patterned after the state. Stay tuned for an Iowa reference here <laughs> right, any yeah, time yeah. now. Exactly. Uh, patterned after the plan from the state of Ohio, uh, where only about two percent of the teachers made it, and so it is going to be a high bar. That's what we anticipate in Idaho, but that leaves questions about the funding piece, mm-hmm. right, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, I can see the pressure point already. And and we heard a little bit of this during the legislative session. Uh, concerns uh, within the legislature about how much is this going to cost because uh, their concern is that if this is an open-ended uh, premium system where thousands upon thousands of teachers get the premiums, uh, kind of a good news, bad news. You've got thousands and thousands of, of you know good teachers who meet the... Uh, who meet the criteria, but the cost goes up. At, at the same time, you know, Carrie Overall, the, the new president mm-hmm. of the Idaho Education Association, said on Friday that her concern is with setting a cap, that th- there shouldn't be a cap, and that if a teacher is uh, eligible and qualified, he or she should get the premiums. So I, I can see a lot of pressure here and a lot of back and forth over how many teachers get this, how much it costs, and you got to remember that the master teacher premium grew out of the idea of the, the career ladder and the revised enhanced salary schedule. And this was sort of the substitute for capping teacher pay at 60000 going up to 60000 as a maximum salary for teachers. Legislature didn't want to go to that, go to that end. So the master teacher premium kind of emerged as a compromise. So I think there's going to be a lot of debate to come about uh, how many teachers get this, how arduous, uh, do you set a cap? Uh, you know, there's a lot to work through at this point. I, I think you're exactly right, Kevin, and uh, this is going to be a decision that I think the legislature will weigh in on when it sets the 2018-2019 budget. I think that's the, the year that we're really talking about the money coming through is 2019. Um, but it's interesting, and so... I guess there's just a rough ballpark about, you know, maybe if 2% of teachers get this, it would be $1.5 million. But as the state board approved the rubric on Thursday, there's no cap there. There's no hard and fast cap so that if 10,000 teachers uh, had the eight years of experience and met the five different um, leadership priorities uh, as part of the rubric, based on what the state board did, Everyone who met those criteria would receive the bonus. Now, 
the legislature could appropriate a limited amount of money, the legislature could throw a cap there, or the legislature could leave it open-ended. It's hard to speculate what they will do, uh, but the legislature will need to do something to address uh, the funding side of this and look for that to happen mm-hmm. this and, next year. And at the same time, you need to remember, you know, listeners need to remember, this is a real issue right now at a lot of districts. Uh, this whole question of what do you do in terms of pay raises, salary schedule for veteran teachers when the career ladder really does cut off at 50000 really does force uh, districts to decide what to do, whether to put some local money, some of their local dollars into enhancing teacher salaries. I mean, this is a, this is a real issue that's uh, unfolding at the district level. It'll be interesting to see how the issue unfolds at the state level in, in the uh, years to come. Yeah, luckily we will be there. Um, we will be there for the legislative session. We will be there for state board of education meetings. And we will be there as districts um, go through and, 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 and set the plans um, and all of that. So uh, we'll, we'll continue to follow it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I have been told that the money will flow. Once a teacher earns it, the money will flow directly from the state to that teacher. There won't be a pass-through at the district level. But it'll be interesting to watch how this is implemented, and uh, I know that we'll stay on top of it, and uh, we'll let people know just exactly how they can qualify, and we'll let people know once the time comes how many teachers do, in fact, qualify and see that money on their paycheck at the end of the day. So stay tuned, but if you want to get caught up, head over to idahoednews.org. I believe we had four stories out of that massive State Board of Education meeting. Uh, I went down to Pocatello. I just got back. Um, but it was a big meeting. A lot of policy was set that will really shape schools for years and years to come. So if you want to get caught up, head over there. But let's switch gears. I want to talk about some test scores that came out while I was out of town. You you dug down a little bit deeper into reading scores, right, Kevin? This has been kind of my summer project. I've been looking at uh, the scores on the Idaho Reading Indicator. And what I wanted to try to do this time around... We had reported last week that in the aggregate, the uh, IRI scores improved this spring compared to the previous spring. And that's, uh, that's important because we're one year into this $11 million literacy initiative to try to get extra help and extra classroom time, extra resources targeted to help at-risk readers. So in the aggregate, those numbers have increased. And what I wanted to do is kind of look at sort of the trends behind the statewide numbers and it's a little bit hazy. What we could say, and what we did say in the story that, uh, that I dropped on Thursday, the big districts, and here we're talking about the top 20 districts in terms of enrollment. If you look at that group, uh, there was definitely a, a trend, an improvement trend. Uh, more of those large districts saw improvements on the IRI scores. Not all of them did, but uh, a majority of them did. And in some cases, the uh, improvements were, were significant, were, were sizable. So, I think you could see an improvement at the, at, in the urban districts and the bigger districts. Urban's kind of a misnomer when you look at right. who's in the top 20 yeah. districts around the state. I mean, they're Blackfoot, Jerome are, are not urban districts, but they're in the top 20. At any rate, saw improvements there. From where we could draw comparisons from year to year, it looks like uh, charters had some improvements as well. Um, again, not across the board, and we don't know about every charter school because we don't have numbers for every charter school. And that leaves the rest of the districts, which I kind of termed the rural districts. And that's, again, a real oversimplification. Because we're talking about everything from Middleton, which is not a rural district. It's a suburban district. Blaine County, McCall, two really, really small districts. What we could see 
and here again, we don't have the numbers for every district, uh, it looks like there may have been a, a drop in, well, there were, there were drops in a number of rural districts, and it, it's possible that what you saw was an increase in the bigger districts, an improvement in the, the bigger districts that maybe masks some problems in the smaller districts. I love writing number stories. I love doing data stories. This one's a little bit of a frustrating data story because the numbers aren't complete, so it's hard to draw hard and fast conclusions. So I had to use a lot of weasel words in the story. I had to say it appears that there's an achievement gap because it does appear that there's an achievement gap, but I can't report definitively that there's a definite achievement gap. I can merely say that it looks like there's a gap between the larger districts and the smaller districts, and that gap appears to have grown with these uh, latest round of IRI scores. So that's what we tried to do. And, and, you know, this is an ongoing project for us to really drill down into these numbers, try to get down next into maybe more of the district levels and see what happened this first year. Such an important year, uh, I think, in terms of reading instruction in the state, in terms of this literacy initiative. So we, we tried to get answers. We didn't get every answer we hoped for. And it, it, it goes back to a an issue that we deal with quite regularly the, the redaction of yeah. uh, of uh, school data at the state level it's a complicated process it's one that we're still trying to kind of get our, our head wrapped around very much it, it really comes down to this almost ticklish intersection between transparency that we're wanting and we're pushing for uh, versus what the existing rules and laws on the book are uh, versus in some cases at very small school levels um, student privacy issues. Right, we would right. never want to do anything that would uh, publicize or make public uh, a student's personal data or, or test scores or anything like that. So we're sensitive to that, but at the same time we are pushing for uh, transparency. We think that, okay, so here's the background here. Literacy is such an important um, topic in the state of Idaho right now. We have these reports, just thousands and thousands and thousands of young readers who were not reading at grade level. Third grade is really a kind of a touch point uh, for proficiency in the sense that education experts have identified third grade as an important year because from before third grade, you're, you're learning to read. After third grade, you're, re you're using your reading skills uh, to learn, mm -hmm. uh, you know, reading to learn, so to speak. And, uh, and, and so the, the taxpayers have an absolute right to know where their money is being spent and whether their investment right. is paying off. And that's why you're digging yeah. into the numbers, right? And, and from the numbers that we could see, and if you go to our, our story, if you go to org, you can read the story. And you can also download, I wrote a three-page summary and did some spreadsheets of the numbers that we could glean. So if you really... If you really want to dive deep into this stuff, you can do that. What I did find from the numbers that we could glean, you did see some, some, some significant improvements from the fall to the spring, which you would expect to see and you would yeah. definitely want to see when the state has invested $11 million into extra help. So in, in maybe those two most critical years that we're talking about here, kindergarten, from the time that schools first get kids in the system, brand new kids, you saw pretty robust improvements almost across the board and definitely across the board with the large districts, uh, you know, improvements uh, across the board in, in these bigger districts in kindergarten. Also saw strong improvements in that third grade, that aforementioned third yeah. grade that is so important because after third grade, kids are expected to be able to master difficult subject matter and use their reading skills 
to process all of that information. So you do see the improvements in kindergarten and third grade. What I was trying to get at, and unfortunately the, the numbers don't get us to where we can say this definitively, are these improvements hap happening pretty much across the board or are there pockets where it's not happening? And that's, uh, that's an important policy question that uh, unfortunately we could not uh, answer definitively. We told you what we could tell you. Yeah. So, so check out the story about news.org. And we'll continue to, to seek out the data and continue uh, to be cognizant of student privacy issues, but at the same time, we will continue to seek out that data to give as much of a, to reveal as much of a, the picture as we can. And, and dig down into the school districts and the charter schools, maybe on more of a, an individual basis and, and use some as illustrations of, of this literacy initiative in action. So that's that's the next step as we continue to dig in. Sure. One more of your projects I want to get to, Kevin, uh, before we start to wind things down. Uh, there's a new state education goal that is emerging. Is it another 60% goal? Yes, is this yes. deja vu all over it, it again? It is. It's another 60% goal. And, and the number I resurfaced last week at the um, Higher Education Task Force meeting. We all know about the first 60% goal. 60% goal 1.0 is the goal of trying to get 60% of uh, Idaho's young adults. young adults, 25 to 34-year-olds, to hold some sort of a college degree or certificate. We're not close to that. No. And we're not going to hit the 2020 deadline. The higher ed task force has basically uh, con you know, conceded that uh, Idaho's not going to hit 60% on that goal by 2020. So here goes the task force last week with a different 60% goal. And this one is everybody is ambitious and maybe even more ambitious. I mean, this is a really big lift. What they want to see, what the task force is talking about, hoping to see, is 60% of high school students, 60% of Idaho students, to hit the college readiness benchmarks on the SAT. Now, that's, uh, that's a benchmark that's set by the, uh, by the college board, which administers the SAT. And what they say, what the college board says about the benchmark is if, if students hit both of these benchmarks, they stand a better chance of at least pulling a C on their introductory yeah. college courses. They, they'll at least make the transition and stay afloat. Uh, in, in, this, in this round of the SAT, in April of this year, 32% of Idaho high school juniors met those benchmarks. To get to 60% in five years is a big lift, especially in a state where almost every high school yeah. junior takes the SAT free of charge to satisfy a uh, high school graduation requirement. So this is another, it is a bit of deja vu all over again. This is a very ambitious goal. Um, the state's got its work cut out for it, and you have to wonder how this plays out and filters down into you know, the school level, to the district level. I mean, what, do you do, what do you do to try to get more, more students to hit these benchmarks? I mean, do, do you do more test prep for the SAT in high school and what does that do in terms of the, the the architecture of the school day I mean you where do you carve out the time to do test prep if you do test prep or do you hope kids do test prep on the side and if uh, if you're hoping for that you're actually really hoping that these kids are planning to go to college and they see value in the SAT as opposed to just taking the SAT to um, check off a high school graduation requirement so this is a big deal, and, and as I talk my way through it, it, it is a, it's a bigger deal maybe than uh, we made of it earlier this week. I did a blog about it. You get kind of caught up on the discussion of it at the task force last week, but uh, definitely something that I want to follow up on and dig into as we further dig into this, uh, 
this challenge the state has in terms of getting more kids to, to go to college and succeed there. It's a tough one. The college board, which administers the SAT, like you said, they have a lot of data and that proficiency benchmark. It's not proficiency, but that, that student success benchmark. Uh, they have a lot of data behind that. But it's tough, man. I mean, you know, kids can have a rough morning. Kids can struggle with test anxiety. It, it's one test on, on one day. And some people just don't test well. And that doesn't right. mean necessarily that they won't succeed um, in, in college. There's plenty of people that go on and obtain college degrees uh, that maybe aren't strong test takers, that maybe have testing anxiety, uh, that maybe something was just going on in their world right. and they weren't at their best. I think we can all relate to having an off day, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, and, and a lot of variables. A lot of pressure in, you know, I remember from what I took it way back in the day, and I can't imagine it's a whole lot different uh, now that the earth is cooled, but when I took it, it's a tough test. It's all morning. It's a grind and, you know, if the kid's coming in distracted, comes in with a headache or, you know, what have you, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot on the line in a high-pressure environment there. So, you know, we'll see what, what follow-up happens now that uh, the, the task force has talked about this uh, new 60% goal because, you know, definitely easier said than done. All right. Give me a sneak peek of your week next week. I might be in a jury box all oh, week. This boy. is this is going to be weird. I've never ser- I've never had jury service before, so if I make it through it, I'll let you know how it goes. But well, good uh, luck with that. Uh, you'll be in the office. Tell, give me a sneak peek of the beginning part of your week. Well, we'll have another busy week, and it starts Monday morning at the state house. Uh, the uh, st- school funding formula committee gets back to work on Monday morning, and, and really, I think this is kind of their meeting to figure out where to go from here. You know. We've talked about this. We've written about this. The the committee spent the summer kind of studying the issue uh, last year, kind of studying the school funding formula. Now it gets down to brass tacks of, well, do we start to make recommendations? Do we start to really uh, play around with computer models, hire a consultant, you know, look at some options? The committee has money to do that. They have $400,000 of taxpayer money at, at, its disp- at their disposal. So, We'll get a better sense maybe on Monday of what happens from here. No decisions, uh, no recommendations on Monday. I, I can't see that happening. But we'll get a better sense of sort of the roadmap for this committee and whether this committee really is serious about making recommendations that they will bring to the 2018 legislature. So that's where Monday begins for me. You know, the jury's out for what your Monday <laughs> yeah. looks like. So it may be a solo podcast. I may be talking to myself or, or whatever. But uh, Keep us posted. All right. Sounds good. Well, I think that about wraps us up uh, for this week. Again, I'm so sorry about our technical difficulties last week, but we always have a lot of fun uh, with this podcast. So thanks for listening. If you want to follow all of our news on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Idaho Ed News. But anyways, good night from Ohio. I hope you have a great weekend. I'm Clark. Goodbye, Iowa, too. Uh, I'm Kevin. Have a good week.